Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. My name is Jeffrey Zakarian, and you're listening to Four Courses with Jeffrey Zakarian from iHeartRadio. In Four Courses, I'll be taking you along for the ride while I talk with the top talent of our time. In each conversation, I focus on four different areas from my guests' life and career. And during those four courses, I'm going to dig deep and uncover new insights and inspirations that we can all use to fuel ourselves to push forward. My guest for this episode is an actor best known for his leading roles in blockbuster romantic comedies. More recently, he's picked up films with more drama and depth, one of which won him an Oscar in 2014. He also just came out with a wonderful book called Green Lights. Without further delay, let's get into my conversation with the charming and insightful Matthew McConaughey. For our first course, I wanted to learn more about the foods and flavors that stand out from Matthew's childhood in South Texas. It turns out that those lessons influence how he and his wife Camilla cook with their own kids today. When you were growing up, what was the smell of food? What was the cooking going on? What was that, oh my God, I smell the, I smell the bacon in the walls because I have that myself. What was that for you? You know, the, the, we lived in South Texas in Uvalde when I was my first 10 years. So we're going to talk about that, those early times. 
there was pecan trees and the grass was St. Augustine. And I had to play in the yard and I remember being in my diapers and in those hot summer days, I remember the smell of the pecan tree and then the fact that no matter how hot it was outside, if I would, I was always barefoot. If I could nestle my toes down into the roots of the St. Augustine grass, it was always cool. And it was like a little air conditioner mm. that came up and cooled me. My mom wasn't a great cook, so I don't have many of those stories. She did a meatloaf, she did a spaghetti bolognese, but it was usually Sarah Lee. So she would find the box. And <laughs> it's okay. We'd find the box, or she'd go, "Oh, I made the pumpkin pie," and you'd go find the Sarah Lee box. You go, "You did." You'd go, she was the woman. She was the mother that, you know, you got one great bottle of uh, Peter Pan, or one bottle of Heinz ketchup, and then after that, you'd like. You're like, I don't think this is Peter Pan. She goes, yes, it is. Look at it. It's on, it's, it's on the outside. There it is. What else would it be? And she'd go get some cheaper brand and put it in there. Then she started to put the, the Del Monte tomato sauce in the Heinz bottle. And you tip the Heinz bottle and pour it like water. You're like, Mom, this is not Heinz. She goes, it is too. Look at the, look at the label. So I didn't have many food things. What I do remember food-wise is Dad and his gumbo. Because Dad was from Patterson, Mississippi, but grew up in New Orleans, Louisiana. And he... Once a year, around Super Bowl, would do a gumbo, and he'd, it'd be a three-day process. And the smell of the gumbo and him cooking the gumbo was something, and it was, a, it was a very anticipatory smell because you could smell the roux early, and you're coming up on it, and three days later, and you sneak by, and he wouldn't let, he'd give you a little taste, but wouldn't let you have much because you had to wait. And the, the anticipation, the build to eating that Everything. was a memory. Then also to go to New Orleans at, at his mother's house where we would go every year for the Blessing of the Fleets. They cooked great meals, but it was... The smell of the in-wall AC that's making sound and dripping a little bit. You smell the moisture and the yep. wood. You could smell the humidity in the wood down there in the household. And that was always an incredibly comforting smell. Mixed with gumbo. Yeah. And so did you, did, so your mom didn't cook, your dad cooked ritually, but you sort of, you just sort of took what you could and made it okay. It was okay. It was, yeah, it was, you know, you got, you got one throw up vegetable in my, in my, in my family and mine was boiled squash. And in hindsight, boiled squash, boiled squash, boiled. Okay. Mom boiled squash. (laughs) Whole family ate it. I found out since nobody liked it. It It's just straight boiled with the, with a pinch of salt. She also boiled okra. That, in hindsight, is the one I wish I would have said was my throw-up vegetable because it was straight boiled okra, and it was like throwing an oyster, a green, slimy oyster on your plate. And the only thing I could do is cover that damn thing with ketchup just to and hold my nose and put it down because if I didn't eat it for dinner, it was all, it was next to my scrambled eggs for breakfast. And to start the day to go to school, that was not very fun. <laughs> yeah, we weren't. she wasn't a great cook. Dad was a great cook when he cooked. But that was sort of our... We did eat dinner together. Every single night, though, seven days a week, we ate dinner at the table with a lazy Susan in the middle. I have three kids like you, and I think that I always tell parents that they say, what's the most important experience? I'm like, you got to eat dinner with your kids all the time. Even if they say nothing, even if they bitch and moan, even if they criticize you, even if they are throw food, you're doing it together. And that bonding experience is it's like DNA. It does not leave you and it doesn't leave. The children will figure it out that that is part of life. That is part of the vessel of nurturing and, and responsibility that you have for your family. Yep. It's something I've been thinking about lately with someone brought up, uh, you know, I'm always talking with different fathers about, hey, what are some raising your kids tips? What do you do here? And we've had my mom with us because of COVID for 18 months. 
She's been with us, live with us. And my buddy reminded me, he's like, well, do you know the example you're setting for your kids about how to help take care of their elders right now? They're seeing it. They'll remember she was with you for that time. Same what I hear you saying about having the family dinner, even if nobody says a damn word. It's about sundown. Hey, why don't we all sit down together? Because that was a habit. And boy, it's a good one. And I, I wish more people did it. I think it, I think it would be helpful for society in lar- at large. I believe strongly in that, you know, every time you break bread together is a magical time. And I would, I wouldn't trade it for anything. And it's almost like, it's a ritual, but I love that ritual. Like we all think it's like, you got to read this, you got to listen to this podcast. You got to do this. You read this book. No, no, just cook a meal together and open beans, cut potatoes together, get, you know, do something. Each one has a job. It becomes a collective strength building exercise for the family. A hundred percent. And what an easy way easy. to congregate. You know, it, it's an it's an easy church. It's an easy meditation. It's an easy and the actual cooking of it together is so much fun as you bring up. Camille and I have a foundation. One of the things that we have is a nutrition project where we'll find uh, the mother who's maybe cooking. I don't know, picking up burgers like five nights, four nights a week for the kids. And we're like, that's fine. We love burgers. But how about we take that forty seven dollars that you spend and we go to the local supermarket and we go get some produce. We get some beans, maybe a little bit of meat. And we come home for the same amount of money, healthier meal, and you get to cook it with your kiddos. And that's the part that they end up loving the most. And the kids love the most. They go, oh, it's the hour I got to spend with mom in the kitchen and the preparing of it that helped us come together. And then you see, you know, I mean, the relationship between the, the, the kids that we work with and their parents improved. They had conversations that they weren't having before because it's also, it takes away the formality of like, well, now let's go sit down and talk about things or (laughs) you're you're cooking, you're doing something, you're tasting. Ooh, that's good. Ooh, try this. Ooh, I've overcooked this. Well, let's try it again. Uh, Then you get the meal and someone says, oh, I really like this one. Who did this one? Who did this dish? Who did that dish? Somebody gets better at one area. What did you guys do during COVID? I know I was obviously home too. And I have three kids the exact same age as yours, except my youngest is seven. And it was like a, a feast every day. I mean, we it was fantastic just to cook and eat and, and share together. Who did the cooking at your house? We all did. Levi, my uh, eldest, he would take charge some days. The thing with him is he gives small portions. We're always like, could you just do, could you make a little larger portion? But he really loves presentation. He really loves oh. finding the piece of the parsley or the something and just setting it up. And he loves the, the choreography of the plate, really loves it. And he's got a really good, he's got really good taste buds, almost too good sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, our daughter right now is really into desserts. Baking is her go. She loves it. I'll get up at 7 a.m. and she's been baking for an hour. She loves it. And then Camilla and I will get, will get, will get jiving in there. I, I'm, you know, we try to eat healthy. I'm big into salads. I'm big into legumes. I'm the guy who makes tuna fish in the family. Now, I'm a guy who loves tuna fish salad. And I believe too. tuna fish salad, if there's one dish that you go to somebody, if you want to find out a lot about that person, you give them all the ingredients in the world and say, you make the tuna fish salad and see what kind of tuna fish salad they make. Everyone will make a completely different tuna fish salad, but it tells you a lot about that person. But the great thing about tuna is, don't you feel like when you eat tuna, you're, you're exceptionally full? Like you're not hungry for six hours. I get exceptionally full, and I think I'm, as I'm eating it, I'm getting more lean. Something about yeah. tuna fish, I can eat as it's, much as I want, and I'm going, like, I think you lost a couple. <laughs>
<laughs> I, I noticed that uh, Camilla is on the on the airwaves making salmon. I'm watch. I watch her cooking, and she seems very confident in her ability to make something out of nothing and really make it happen and put the love into it. Her mother taught us this thing, and she calls it mochito, and it's usually our Sunday night ritual, which is, hey, we prepared meals all week. Now Sunday night, let's clean out the fridge and see what meal can be made. Let's pull out every single leftover, the bottom of any bottle. Let's see what we can use. And it's going to be different every time. And it's fun because it ends up being a magic trick. Now, you know, we get the music going, a glass of wine, and Camilla gets gets that Brazilian rhythm going. And and, and again, that's another thing about cooking. You know, it's, it's, it's also, where's your head at when you're cooking? If I'm feeling musical and I'm in a good mood, I promise you my tuna fish is going to taste better to everybody than if I'm like, ah, I got to go make it. I won't even go cook if I'm like, ah, I got to go cook. And it won't taste as good. But if I'm like, here we go, let's have some fun here, it always tastes better. It may even be the same damn ingredients, but I promise you it tastes better to everybody if the cook is having a good time cooking it. Jeez, I love hearing that. A little bossa nova, a little Milton Nascimento, a couple of glasses of wine. What's better than that? I mean, I want to come over and watch you make tuna. Just any kind of tuna, a clean-out tuna. It's it's about a 45-minute to an hour process. (laughs) In our second course, I wanted to get into Matthew's origin story as an actor, which began in earnest when he landed a role in the now classic film Dazed and Confused. It all started when he approached casting director Don Phillips at a bar. I didn't go down there to make a new friend. I knew he was in town as a movie producer, and I wanted to be in the movie business. I was studying that. So it was a deliberate, opportunistic move. Mind you, I didn't play that hand. I didn't act over needy. I was hanging out, being a cool guy, having to vodka and tonics with him until we got kicked out of the bar for being too rowdy. Only then did he go, you ever done any acting? I'm like, well, no, not really. I was in a middle line commercial for this song. He's like, you might be right for this part. Come down to this address, pick up the script. Well, there was that script. Three lines. I look at those three lines. Wow, man, I could get this part. This is great. I worked on those three lines for two weeks. Who was the guy? Well, he reminds me of my brother. I remember seeing my brother when I was nine years old, leaning against the wall in the smoking section at Longview High School with his left leg boot heel up against the brick wall that he was leaning against and his flimsy little hand holding that cigarette. And I was like, it was from 100 yards away. And in my 10-year-old eyes, his silhouette was the coolest thing in the world. He was my hero. He was nine feet tall. His Z28 that he would wake me up when he'd get home at midnight after his curfew and pull me out of bed and I'd come out in my tidy whities and sit in the driveway and he'd play Turn Me On to, to John Mellencamp and Judas Priest. We'd rock and roll in his Z28 in the driveway till five in the morning. No stereo has ever sounded better than it did on those nights. <laughs> I've heard a lot of stereos that cost more and were better quality, but to my 10-year-old ears, nothing's yeah. ever sounded better. Nobody was ever cooler. And I was like, well, that's Wooderson. That's this character. So then the fact that I show up and I'm not supposed to work and I got three lines, three lines turned into three weeks work. I keep getting invited back to set. I'm just kind of improvising because I know my man. And all of a sudden I'm in the movie and I'm a main character. That I still go back to as going like that example is not going to be topped. I didn't know what I was doing, but I had instincts for it. You know, but I was and I and I was confident enough to go when the camera's on would just be this be this character. So I had instincts for it. And I go back, there's a purity of that that I've tried to maintain along the way as I've gotten smarter, as I've learned my craft. And you know that you know there's that awkward time where if you have great instincts for something, and then all of a sudden 
you go to school on it, and now it's time to learn it. There's an awkward period there where now you're intellectualizing something that you didn't even used to think about. You said instincts for it. And I had an awkward couple of years there where I was like, I'm not, this, my acting is going backwards. I'm not doing as good. I, I know too much. Now that I'm conscious of what the hell I was doing, I'm not doing it as well. I'm thinking, well, I yeah. stuck with it and got past it. And once I was past it, yes, I lowered my handicap in acting. My handicap went down because I went through the learning process and that gave me great power. I knew what to do when I was in the groove. And I also learned what to do when I was in a rut. I learned how to deal with, oh, I'm stuck. Oh, I've got tension. Oh, that's my enemy right now as an actor. I got a, I knew what, I knew how to handle it when there was, when I'd run into a, a, a dead end to acting or get, or get stuck. That I didn't know beforehand. So I lowered the handicap coming out of that. But that was, I would say days confused. I don't have a better story or, or, or green light origin story. It was the, that, that was the first green light and the one that still illuminates to this day of how to do it for me. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. 
I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. For our third course, I asked Matthew about his process of putting together his new memoir, Greenlights. It's a personal, raw reflection built upon years and years of journals from his life. The book had just broken 2 million copies in sales when we chatted, which he said came as a huge, happy surprise, especially as a first-time author. It just did 2 point, I was told this morning, 2.4 million in North America. And... Yeah, I don't know what, you know, I didn't, it's my first book. I didn't have an expectation. I, I, I sort of synonymized it with what I know about the box office, a movie. You want to you have a good opening weekend. Uh, <laughs> and then after that, if you get fortunate, you can have some word of mouth because you can't do just press for a movie all the time. And we had a good opening weekend. We opened up at number one um, New York Times bestseller. So I was like, okay, check. That means we had a great weekend, opening weekend. Yep. And then after that, it was, uh, you know, I've been on the road hammering it and talking about it uh, for a long time, but it's really cool that it's living on its own. People, are, um, without me saying anything, are passing. It's getting a life of its own. And that is, is awesome, which I had no idea would happen. The book is like a lovely soliloquy. I know a leap motif. It's this string of pearls sort of of like experiences, but really it's hard to put that together in a way that actually can like, you know, move someone to get sort of like a lesson from something because most of people just regurgitate. So I really enjoy that. I think there's a lot of things in your book that you mentioned that you did early on. You had no idea like waiting 20 years would make it, you know, it would be like you were never in the, you were in a little bit of a comfort zone, but you waited 20 years and then it just all made sense. Like you were exactly who you were supposed to be at any given moment in time. And I think that's like, Food and life are very similar to that. And that's what I get out of this book. Like, you were who you were, and and that's what I got out of that. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, I've tried to unpack that because there were times I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm in a rut. Is this it? Is this my existence? (laughs) There were times I thought that, but I would always fight that thought and go, no, trust. Trust this is a phase. Trust, forgive yourself for that bogey. This is a stop, not a stay. Trust that this is going to pass. And happily, most of those things where I was maybe not who I, looking back who I, or at the time, even who I, I wasn't being who I wanted to be or the the best version of myself, I trusted that I wasn't going to get stuck there and either did something about it to change it, created new habits, or said, I'm going to forgive you on this one, let you slide which is, I mean, that's a big old balance in life, Seems it seems to me, is what do we let ourselves slide on and what do we say, no, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. <laughs> let's let's move on, you know? Well, you moved on well, and I love that you you collected all these these things. You just wrote stuff down, which it's very commendable to write stuff down and be able to piece it together. But it seems to me that you're always trying to sort of live with integrity. That's what I got out of this. I'm like, this this gentleman is really trying his hardest to stay in the path of goodness. I think that it's like we just kind of make shit up all the time. And if you have a good heart, it can't turn out bad, right? It seems to me that that's what you sort of did a lot in a very successful way. I maybe I think I mean, I think so. I look, I I pulled some things off. I've done some stunts where I was like, 
I don't know, man, if this is going to work, and <laughs> I'm just going to try and pull it off. I don't have any morals about it. I just want to see if I can get away with it. I got plenty of those in my quiver. But I kind of, I mean, I trusted, and I, I, I knew early on that I'm not a tyrant. I knew early on that I was like, hey, you may not be the best. You may be a bad boy here. You may misbehave. You may not, you know, make your A in that relationship, and you could have done that better. But I was like, I'm not ugly, and I, I'm not ugly at people, and I don't want to be. I just don't have it. It's not in my constitution. I, I, I've never... I've never felt more or felt victory in, in pointing out someone else's failure. I've never wanted, oh, if I put you down, I'll feel, I'll feel better. Just never had it in me um, for whatever reason. Never, never gave me residual. Never, never made me really feel worth a damn. So I've, 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 I knew I wasn't, I didn't have being a tyrant in me. And that gave me some trust that, okay, when I'm maybe not my best, well, hell, was it fun? Let's give ourselves a pass on that one. You know what I mean? And everyone needs a Saturday night under their belt. <laughs> I hope a lot of people read the book. You were a very good communicator, whether I, th whether I think you knew it or not at the time, in a sort of a profound way, writing this book. It's like you're just being, you're letting yourself like be okay. Yeah. Look, I, I, I dared myself to go back and look at 35 years of my writings and make a book out of it and share it. I dared myself to do it for 15, 20 years and never had the courage or balls to do it. I was like, ah, you know what? Camilla, when I die, she'll maybe look back and do something with that. Or my best friend, he'll look back. And I, that was, I was copping out. And then I was like, well, who do you think you are to think what you've been writing down and going through your mind and heart's worth sharing? And I was like, ah, well. And then I was like, well, let's go. Let's go see. And part of the, the writing of it for me was incredible freedom because I was looking back going, I was afraid to go look back. I was like, ah, man, I'm not going to like who I was. Is it going to be embarrassed? And I was when I look back. But all of a sudden, what I noticed is I started laughing at myself at times going, <laughs> you dumbass, you know, or whatever it was. And laughter is a form of forgiveness. And also I was like, oh, I'm glad you did that. That's a really randy, racy story. And you got away with that one. How'd you come out of that with that drawn blood? Or, oh, you did draw blood on that one, but you made it out the other side. You know, I, I, I realized this on day four writing because I came into writing this thing thinking I knew what the book would be. And I thought it was going to be very academic. Well, I start looking at the stuff I've written and all of a sudden after day four, I was like, this ain't academic. This is more philosophical folk stories, storytelling, statesmanship and, you know, poetry and song than it is academic. It's not academic at all. And so I had to rearrange. I was like, look, let's just look at what you have and let it tell you what it is. And the more I found this out, the more personal I got, the more I started to realize, oh, I think more people, the more amount of people will be able to see themselves in my stories if I, the more personal I get. And I remember at the time thinking that was ironic. I was like, well, how does that work? And I was like, well, duh. That's what any good art does. That's what it, a great meal does. If you're really cooking it for you, then you're like, that's exactly what I wanted to cook right there. More people are most likely going to love that. If you're cooking it only for them, though, and you're going, I don't like it. People aren't going to like it. I was writing it for me. And as I kept reminding myself, write it for you. And if other people see see themselves in it, great, which is what has fortunately and kindly happened. Yeah. And also, there's an, you know, when we when I roast a chicken, I tell people all the time, I've roasted a million, 800,000, a million chickens. Every one of them is different. Every single one of them is different. It's the same chicken, the same temper, same, but it, it tastes different every time. And you have to, you have to let, let that happen to you in life. So I have this 
picture of you with a giant table with all these writings around trying to like put them in columns. How did you, how did you get this book to sort of at least behave a bit? Well, I, I've been collecting journals and, I, and my treasure chest of journals went from this size to this size to this size. And now it's overflowing. And it was about, do I dare take that away to open up and see what's in there? So I went away to the desert, to a place and didn't have any electricity. I wanted to go to a place where I had no cell service, no nothing, where I was forced to be with me and who the hell I've been the last 50 years. And if I got bored, well, you got one place to go. Entertain yourself by looking back at who the hell you've been. And that process was just going through and going, yep, let's pull that, let's highlight that, let's put that page. And so I went through everything and said, I think I found there's some certain themes going through here. And then I started to stack columns and I found themes. There were people, places, prescribes, poems, prayers, and a whole lot of bumper stickers. That was my stacks. And I was like, okay, well, they're my pillars of where things that I've been thinking about writing down for 35 years fall into those columns. And then I was like, okay, well, let me look at those seven and see if I can find a central theme of that. And that's where green lights came from. Because I noticed what you were saying. Boy, I've had screw-ups, crises, hardships, deaths, sicknesses, et cetera, failures in my life that were red and yellow lights. And I've had times of introspection, yellow lights going away where I'm going to put on a backpack and go off and be with myself and be introspective. But every one of them turned out to be a green light. Even the death of my dad had valuable, valuable lesson it gave me. Um, so I noticed, oh, I'm not denying the red light of, the, of my father's death, but I'm, I don't think I'd be the man I am unless he had moved on. Is that, being, is that discrediting his death? The hardship of that? No. It's just saying <laughs> an outcome of that was something that I can take and learn. And I think it's something yeah. that we can all do. In those hardships when we go, yep, I'm in it. Now it happened. Well, I got two choices. I can either try and find something I can use out of it that's constructive, a lesson learned, or I can sit here and go, I'm a complete victim of that situation. And I, there's just no residuals. The, the second one, the second one's no fun. The second yeah. one's like, no, it's it's wallowing. I just like, so pure, for purely selfish reasons, I think, I've tried to look at and approach life that way and not be callous. Hopefully not be callous, hopefully not be arrogant, which I can be at times. But look at those things. It's like, yeah, well, you've got two choices. One at least could be fun and constructive. The other one just has no residuals. There's no ROI in it. It sucks. Well, shoot, let's pick the first one. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant... Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. 
Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. And for our fourth and final course, I knew that Matthew would have interesting reflections on politics and philosophy. Together, we explored the dangers of instant gratification and reflected on some ideas of a psychologist and thought leader we both admire. I know you're passionate about a lot of things. You're passionate about politics, and I, I, I do sort of read quite a bit about it because uh, you and I follow someone that we, I respect very much, Jordan Peterson. I live by a lot of his books. I try to, and uh, love his stuff, but you're very passionate about your state and your the way you describe how it is that we can live, but yet we can still take care of each other. But we need to have, there need to be some rules for life, so to speak. And you're very passionate about that. You don't preach to people, which I love. You just say, look, this is what it is. Anybody needs to go through this. And this is not about like splitting hairs. This is about like what the human condition is. And I, I think it's fascinating the way, what you're doing it. You know, you can get skewered very easily. Yeah. And those skewers are where it goes sideways. I mean, you know, Jordan talks a lot about responsibility. We don't talk about consequences enough. Consequences are usually thrown over there. It's like, uh-oh, bad. No. Yeah. Let's remember, consequence, there are good consequences. There's upside. Yeah. There's gain. Yeah. There's ROI. Give credit to the consequences. Consequence is not a bad word. It just cuts both ways. The one perspective that he has that I think is the honey hole, that I think is the the real nectar. Let's forget politics. Let's forget these titles of things for a minute. What do we need to do? Build better people. Build better people. And who's that on? That's on me and that's on you. And who am I supposed to look after? Me. Who are you supposed to look after? You. I, I think we're all, and I'm guilty of it too, we have a certain sense of entitlement. We are showing this last year and a half that we give more credence to our privileges than our principles. It's short-term beliefs. It's immediate gratification, yet we have trouble seeing that long view. We have trouble saying, no, actually, I'm betting on the bigger prize. 
later, that immortal finish line. And a lot of that for me comes from a faith and a belief that this isn't it. This life isn't it. And again, even if it is it, I'm going to keep on believing it's not it, just for the, yeah. just for the, at least for the fun of it. <laughs> so, but even if you're not a believer, if you're an agnostic, what I mean, just project a little bit. If you're doing it for you, because every decision I believe is has to be extremely personal. We proved that we don't do shit unless it's personal. So instead of saying you shouldn't be selfish or you you're, you got too big of an ego, I'm like, no, be more selfish. Have a bigger ego, but with that comes responsibility. And there's a place where you can serve yourself and actually serve the most amount of people. If you believe in the delayed gratification that there is, it's all an individual experience in the collective. But I think it starts with each one of us in the mirror. And I do honestly and sincerely believe in the capacity for each one of us to self-determine and do better at taking care of our minds, hearts, spirits, and bodies than we do at present. We got so much to go. We, we don't like sacrifice. We don't like to break a sweat. We don't like the hard work that is life because we don't want to trust that that can bring a greater reward, but it does. And if we could just remember yeah. that and say, I'm going to invest in me and investing in me, respecting myself more means I'm going to be able to respect you more. If I invest in me, I'm investing in my daughter's future. I'm investing in your son's future. I mean, we're, it's a shared story. It's a shared story, and it's a paradox, not a contradiction. So I think politics right now is in such a contradictory phase that it's actually yes. kind of small thinking. Where right now thinking. we just have two parties that are their their nut is to preserve their party. Isn't that non-democratic? You're not serving fifty percent of the people of the existence that we're all in. If your sole purpose is I don't care. I'm not going to listen to logic. We're not going to conversate about this. My job is to preserve my party. Wait a minute. Your job's not to just preserve your party. Your job is to make the best choice for the people, to serve the people. Under that umbrella, you can say we got two camps that have a different little ideology. My purchase would be, that's why I would call myself more aggressively centric, is that there are some people on the right that are the right person for the job at hand at this certain time. There's certain people on the left that are the right person for the certain job at this time. And if you're in the middle, like a free safety, you've got the agility to go left or right when you need to. And uh, right now, it's just, you know, that old, I, I, I heard this quote said to me, oh, yeah, middle of the road. Ain't nothing in the middle of the road but dead armadillos and yellow, <laughs> yellow lines. <laughs> I remember telling the guy, I was like, Dude, I'm walking down the middle of the road right now. Let me tell you, there ain't no dead armadillos. You know why? They're all running freely because the left and the right are so far left and right, their rubber ain't even on this pavement anymore. So it's free It's free over here. And I actually think the center is a dare now. I think it's a, yeah, it a courageous sort of, it's the place where the outlaws can live. Is it me that is it also seems that if we can't, if we've lost the ability to, you know, when you go to law school, you were going to be a lawyer. You go sit on the side and you like you argue one side and then you have to go to the other chair and argue the other side. And if you can't argue both to completion, you fail. Where is that? What what happened to saying I, I uh, with all due respect, I completely disagree with you. Here are the facts in my side. There's none of this discourse. It seems that we have we cannot get away from the emotional and just go with the facts and talk about something whereby we might both sort of like 
tell each other something. We actually, for Christ's sake, you might like actually learn something, you idiot. You know, it's like, I'm shocked. When these politicians talk, it's like, it's 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 blame. It's a victim. Blame, blame the victim. Blame that victim. You blame this victim. Oh, we're going to pull out a victim of blame. And I, I'm like, it's so anti-intellectual. It's almost hard to watch. To the point is, I shut it off. Yeah, I hear you. Well, look, I was writing the other day, the biggest underdog I know of right now in, in, in our lives is facts. <laughs> facts yeah, are the biggest exactly. underdog going right now. Oh, those. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's a dangerous place. When we are being fed and we're drinking the Kool-Aid of fiction as reality. And I'm for dream. I'm in the dream business. I'm a storyteller. I, I get it. But art emulates life. Fiction is based off of nonfiction. Fiction is the dream that we make of the, re- the, the rhyme we make of the reason. But reason and logic are right there. can be apparent. They're actual. we got to give that credit. And if we quit giving that actual facts credit, whoo we're in, we're in trouble, which I think we're in somewhat trouble right now. Here's where I think it's gone. I think it's gone twofold away from where you're talking about. Prosecute, defend, have a conversation here, step in the other seat, have that conversation. So we know we're not there. So where did we go first? We went first to, no, I believe in my side so much so right that I can't even hear yours. But yeah. I'm not condemning yours. I'm just saying mine is right. It's totalitarianism. That's it. That's where we believe. Well, we've gone a step further than that. We're not even arguing off of our own belief. We're just arguing off of, I know it's not that. <laughs> exactly. I know what it, it's just the opposite of whatever he says. Yeah, because he's that guy. I, he can't be, he can't be right. Don't, don't worry. I don't know what I believe. I just know I don't believe that. That's, yeah. we've gone two folds away from any conversation without a condemnation. We've gone two fold, one fold away from even believing in what we're selling. We've just gone to, I, if, I'm anti whatever the so-called opposite is. I don't know what I'm about, but I know I'm not that. And that's there's no answer in that. Where's the construction? And you know, it's so it's so construed when you talk to someone, it has to turn political. And they'll say, So, I don't know, I'm making this up, like, what are you doing? Well, I had the kids down here. So, oh, so so you're living in Florida? Like <laughs> it's if like, yeah, I'm living in Florida. It's like there's gotta be something wrong with you because you're living in Florida. I'm like, there's 26 million people here. I'm okay. They pick one thing, and if they can get that judgment, they grab that hook and the fish, and, and that's it. They know you. You're a this, you're a that, you're a that, you're a discarded. I'm never talking to you. It's like shocking to the point, sadly, where there's no discourse. I don't even say anything. I hardly, I don't tweet this, tweet that. I don't give my opinions because I'll be crucified. What you're bringing up is right now, there could be dire consequences for that. Yes. Now, and look, we all know, the propaganda of good ideas, uh, 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 of truth. Truth is a propaganda right now. And the way that I said facts are an underdog, (laughs) the truth is propaganda. All right, so, but I'm going to call, I'm going to say I'm for that propaganda, okay? But let's admit that all of us can, as you're talking about it, Mr. Peterson said, tell the truth and deal with the consequences. I mean, again, if we're, you know, someone comes along or the parts of each one of us come along in this life that go, I'm not playing this mortal finish line game. I'm on to a bigger game. That 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 part of us will come out and then speak speak the truth and deal with the consequences because we're going like, I'm not talking about wins and losses here on earth right now. I'm talking about big wins. And if I believe this is the truth and more of us start to speak that and live that way, that's the bravery and the courage that I think we're going to need. It's just how, to, you know, 
you know packaging, I know packaging, it has to be said the right way, you don't want to say it in the wrong place, what will people get, you know, what will people put in bold print, how will you be completely condemned, why would you want to open up to have someone sabotage and completely trespass and steal and kidnap everything you've built, which has great credence yeah. and worth and currency, don't want to be foolish with it, I hear you, don't be foolish with it, but I think that's the prophet in all of us or a prophet that we haven't made yet, that's the version, though, that's going to come forward and going to sober everyone up. I believe you're right because it actually there's no choice. There's no choice but not to live with immediate gratification. And we've all gotten so drunk on it that it's very hard to look past the long term. And uh, another Peterson thing that I love is he says, "You, whatever you do, you're going to pay a price. Just pick you're going to pay a price, whether it's left, right, wrong, bad, in, out. There's a price to it. Get ready to pay the price, but determine to sort of like tell the truth as well. You've got to pay the price. There's no getting out of this world. It's angry and it's unfair. Every choice has to cost you. And, and you know what? When you're really turned on and on fire, it costs you more one way or the other, but it's got to cost you. And know that it costs you. Now, I think that's part of it is we don't, we go, whoa, wait a minute. I'm going to stick over here. Let me just keep, let me keep dancing at the dollar store. All right. Because that cost doesn't really mess with my, my livelihood. I don't want to go invest in something. Let me just rent. I don't want to own. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let me just rent my way around the dollar stores of the world and ideas and who I'm going to be. It's, we don't want to pay the cost. We're, we're afraid to, to lose what we might lose. And we're damn sure afraid to gain of what we might gain. I think of individuals in the same way I think of like, America as an aspiration. It's, it's, we got this capacity we were talking about to, to, to be better. We've got this potential. I know people throw that word about potential. Don't talk to me about potential. Wait a minute. Come on. Potential is where hope is. And you got to have hope to move forward. And then hopefully under hope, you have a constructive understanding about how to maybe get that, make that hope come true. I, I, I think our, our biggest foible, our biggest problem is that we think we're going to get to the, that there's an ending, that there's an aha moment where we go, ta-da, I did it. We did it. We finally defined justice. We finally defined equality. We finally defined fairness. No, we're not. <laughs> That's the point. If we can just evolve the definitions a little bit for ourselves and for each other, it's just, we don't, you don't get to the top of the staircase when you leave this life. What you can do is look back and go, how many did I climb? And that's as good as it gets, as far as I can tell. And if we can go, that's this good. That's the aspiration. We never get there. I like to say this. I'm chasing a, a central truth. I know I'm never going to find it, but I believe I am. <laughs> so I just, I'm playing a trick on myself. Thanks very much for listening to Four Courses with Jeffrey Zakarian, a production of iHeartRadio and Corner Table Entertainment. Four Courses is created by Jeffrey Zakarian, Margaret Zakarian, Jared Keller, and Tara Halper. Our executive producer is Christopher Hesiotis. Four Courses is produced by Jonathan Hawes Dressler. Our research is conducted by Jesselyn Shields. Our talent booking is by Pamela Bauer at Dogtown Talent. This episode was edited and written by Priya Madhavan and mixed by Joe Tisdall. Special thanks to Katie Fellman and Matthew McConaughey for help as recording engineers. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io/ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information.